own memories to cling to when it comes to remembering things that truly matter. We need something more concrete than only our own minds, our own memory, because it's very easily distorted. Now, all that to get to our main point today, the value of the written word. The value of the written word. And yes, I do have a particular written word in mind, if you were wondering. But first, let's think about our life. What is life? This is getting a little more philosophical than you thought it would be, I bet. What is life? No, I don't wanna, we're not going to get too philosophical. But I was thinking about what our life is essentially. And actually, if you really boiled it down, this is my definition, so bear with me. Really simply, life is really only just a whole, or simply put, is just a series of, of experiences spread out over a period of time that we don't know how long that will be. But it's just a bunch of things that, we, that happen. It's just a bunch of experiences throughout a time period. And these experiences and how we interact with them and how we respond to them is what defines us as who we are and what makes us to become who we're going to be. It's just a bunch of things that happen. And these experiences span across, right, a vast spectrum. I think everybody here has tasted a little bit of both ends of that spectrum. We've all been through the good times where things feel really good and things are moving great. We've been through the bad times where it's a bit harder. It's a bit like a, more of a trudge to keep moving. And then we've been through, some of you have been through really horrible experiences. But all of these things are just a series of experiences that make us who we are, that make up our life. So let's take that and build on it. So first, we all have experiences of all different kinds, and these play a pivotal role in shaping us to become who we are. Now, then let's take into account that our memory, which is the very glue that connects all of these experiences and events together, is not nearly as reliable as we think it is. That's like shook me a little bit when I was thinking about this. And you're probably wondering, what is this pastor going on about? What's the point here? My point is, it feels a bit unstable, doesn't it? It feels a bit unstable. Our life is just all these experiences. Our memory is what keeps them together. The only thing that connects me with who I was when I was a, a kid is my memory. There's nothing else physically that connects me with that person. And yet our memory isn't nearly as stable and sure as we think it is. So it feels unstable. It's like building a house in the dark. You know, we're working without really a plan of knowing what we're aiming for, right? We don't know how much time we have. We don't know where it ends. We don't know exactly where we're going, where we're headed. And also, we can't really be sure of what we've already built. We're just kind of fumbling around. That seems really terrifying. So, that's it. That's, that's the sermon today. Hope you guys are encouraged. So, what can we do? We can turn on the lights. We can turn on the lights. Psalm 119, 105, famous verse. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. We need to turn on the lights. We live in uncertain times and we are an uncertain species. We need something that is consistent and outside of ourselves. I can't merely trust my own memory, my own intuitions, my own experiences. 
They're so easily manipulated by myself. I need something consistent. We forget, we change, we mold the very way that we see our own past experiences. But God has not abandoned his promises. His truth reigns true and supreme and eternal. Who God says you are is who you are. And that you can trust. Put your trust not in yourself, but in him. And I really want to emphasize today, put your trust in the word of God. Put your trust in the word of God. There's nothing more certain and concrete and absolute than the word of God. Put your trust in the unchanging word of God. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the foundation we need to build on. We have to know that there is an absolute truth. There is something true we can hold on to. There is an absolute truth. There is something we can truly trust in that will not let us down, that will shed light on our lives when we are in the dark. Something that is everlasting and that is only found in the word of God. If we doubt this, and sometimes we'll deal with doubts, but there's a difference between dealing with doubts and embracing doubts. But if we have doubts and we embrace them and say, well, I don't know, maybe the word of God, some of it's good, some of it's bad, I don't know. The one, if we, if we doubt the one absolute truth that we have access to in this world, if we doubt the one absolute truth we have access to, Look around in the world and try to find absolute truth. You will only find it in the word of God because it is breathed by, the word of, by, the, by God himself through the spirit of God. If we doubt the one absolute truth we have access to in this world, we will lose our stability. We will lose our stability. In James 1.6, he says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. How many times have you felt that? Have you felt like you're just being like, being like a, like a bobbing thing in the water? A little bit of this way, a little that way. Nothing anchoring you. This is what happens when we fall away and begin to doubt the truth of God. Because what else is there to hold on to? You're going to hold on to yourself you're just a buoy holding on to yourself, floating through the waves. James is pointing out this instability that we create through our doubts when we doubt God. And he's talking about asking God for things. You know, when you ask God, believe. But this obviously applies directly to the word of God itself. Because that's when we, what we bring to God when we ask him things is his word. And I can be very clear that if you don't trust in his word, if you don't trust in his word, you're not going to trust in him. You could tell me today, you know, I really trust Brandon, but not what he says. Not the words that come out of his mouth. I trust him as a, as a being, but not if he's going to talk to me. That's crazy. We can't, you can't separate the two. If you don't trust the word of God, you can't trust God. 
And you can say, well, I don't know, I have this relationship with him, I, I feel these things, I, I've experienced these things. Well, what, what do we know about memory? What do we know about experiences? They're moldable, they're easily manipulated. We need something that's more concrete to hold on to. Something that's absolute. And that is only found in the word of God. In the text, again and again, as we, the text we went through today, we see references to the importance of remembering what God had done in the story of Esther. There's letters sent out. Or again and again, they're just pointing out, we need to remember this thing. We want the future generations to remember this. Mordecai wants these events to not be forgotten and to not be changed, to not be molded. And I personally believe he's the author of Esther, uh, but we don't know that for sure. That's just the way that it ends. Kind of seems like he's the one who wrote it, but he doesn't sign it, so we don't know. But he wants, us, he wants these events to not be forgotten and to not be changed. And this is why we're not hearing about this around the campfire. We're not hearing about this around, all right, guys, gather around. Let's talk about, let me tell you about the story of Esther. We're reading it. Everything in God's, or sorry, everything in God's word is there for a purpose. Everything in there is there for a purpose. He knows the shortcomings of, of us and our memories and our ability to manipulate our own experiences. This is why going all the way back to Moses, he had his word put in writing, something very unique. He always had them write it down, going to the Ten Commandments, although those he wrote down himself. I believe the true value of this is often taken for granted, and I include myself in that. I know some of you are like, no, not me. But man, so many times I've, I've just really taken for granted how amazing it is that I have the word of God in my hand. That God has taken on himself to make sure that we in this generation would be able to hold a physical book and read his words with power and authority on every page. To have this rock to stand on, this tether that keeps us anchored as we fight the currents and battle the wind and waves of this life that constantly is thrown at us, we have the written word of God as this great gift of God to us. In verse 30 of chapter 9, the letters are sent out, and it says that they're sent out as words of goodwill and assurance. Of goodwill, words of goodwill and assurance. So let's look at three things that they're kind of called to remember and to be assured with. So they're obviously they're, they need to remember the whole story of Esther, but there's a few things that I found quite interesting that I want to point to. Number one, this will be our one of our points. Remember who God is to who you are. Remember who God is to who you are. In verse 22 of 9, they're talk, he's talk, kind of going through the things they need to be reminded of. And he says that, remember the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, You, dear children, as are from God and have overcome them, because you, sorry, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You know, we sing the song, our God is greater. I'm not going to sing for you guys. Our God is greater. 
He's, great, he's greater than our enemy. The one who's in us is greater than our enemy. Is this really a founding truth in your life? Is this a founding truth in your life? That you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. The one who is truly greater than your enemy. And I read this as a father, and I think what I wouldn't do to protect my son. I love you guys. I really do. But if you, like, hurt my son intentionally, I don't know. Maybe not anymore. Might have to throw down. No. But really, there's like a protection I feel over him. And I think, man, how much more will the Almighty God who is our Father, want to protect us, want to guard our hearts, want to watch over us, want to lead us through this life to what He is calling us to in eternity. The written Word of God reminds us again and again of this great truth of who we are to Him, that He is our Father. This is important because we again and again and again and again forget it. We need that written word to go back to. We've all been there. Everything seems hopeless. We don't know how we're going to get through this. Everything seems hopeless as we look forward into a situation we're in. Just as we saw with the Jews, as they were mourning and fasting, wearing sackcloth, Haman's plot to destroy them was set There was no way, no sign of any hope to come. Everything seemed lost and hopeless. What could possibly transpire for them to see them saved? But then God showed up, though so subtly and in the background, as he sometimes does, through Esther and Mordecai, God brought brought about the salvation of the Jews. How often we forget that God truly is greater That God truly is greater. He is so much greater than us. And yet, we are not insignificant to him. When we have greatness, it's easy for us to look down on those that we feel are below us. It's a human trait. That is not a God trait. We are so insignificant in reality to him. But we matter so much. One unique trait about Christianity is that we are called to pray to God as Father. We're called not to, we want to glorify Him as great and remember His majesty and who He is. But Jesus says, this is how you pray. Our Father. He's our Father. It's personal. It's intimate. It also unites us to Christ. It's not just His Father, but our Father. That's something unique and something we need to be reminded of. Who we are to who he is. He's still creator of the universe, master of everything. He's big. And yet he loves us as a father loves his son or his daughter. Remember who he is and who you are to him. Number two, remember what God has brought you through. In verse 31 of chapter 9, it says, in regard to their times of fasting and limitation. So it's, he's kind of, they're taking that into consideration. I think it's a good reminder that we will have experiences of both good 
and bad times. There are going to be seasons of sorrow, seasons of lament in our lives. And God's written word, this is something I love about the Bible. I like a lot of things about the Bible. But something that I found really encouraging is in these moments, I'm reminded in, in my own moments of, of lament or sorrow or hardship that God's word addresses reality. It addresses reality. There are moments of pain and sorrow and lament and the Bible is not this self-help book. It makes you kind of want to throw up a little bit in your mouth, at least for me. You know, these like, here are the 10 things you need to get over it. Sometimes that's not what we want. That's not what we need. And the Bible doesn't give us the 10 things we need to get over our sorrow, to get over our pain. It says, I'm with you. You're not alone in your pain. You're not alone in your sorrow. You're not alone in your suffering. I am with you. God is not a one-sided being, always happy and smiling. That would be really creepy. That is not the God that I want to serve, just one that just has this fake smile on all the time. God is real. God knows what we feel because he feels it too. Through Jesus, God has had the full spectrum of experiences that we have. His word reflects and reminds us that God meets us where we are as he brings us to where he is calling us to be. He meets us exactly where we are. Our memory doesn't serve us well in this. It's weak. It's not enough. It's manipulated. We forget. We've all had moments of sorrow. And in these times, God's word is meant to be more than a comfort, but a companion. We forget this. And this is why we have the written word to keep us grounded and rooted in the truth. We can read through the Psalms of lament and see that God gets it. That's okay to pray as David prayed and say, God, where are you? I'm looking for you. I seek you all day long. I don't find you. Where are you? Because sometimes in this moment, we feel like God is nowhere near us. And God's word, God's written word will then lead us as David leads us and also prays at almost the end of every lament, but, but I will trust in you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I feel alone, but I will trust in you. There's power in this. Be reminded by his word that he is with you and faithful in all your experiences. Number three, remember what God has done for you. In 922, it says their sorrow was turned into joy, their mourning into a day of celebration. That's good news. This is the end all truth of the written word of God for the believer, that all sorrow will be turned into joy. All pain will, be, will come to an end. All mourning will turn into celebration through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross as we are called in to be, to be his, to belong to him, and he leads us into eternity where there will be peace and joy forever. We see this, I think, in the last verse in chapter, of chapter 10 of verse 3 where we see Mordecai has been put into the, the posi a high position and we see that the welfare of the Jews is, is good, that things are, are going well now for the people. There's peace 
in the land because of his position. We know that Christ has been put into a high position through what he's did, what he did on the cross, through his death and resurrection. He sits now at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf, as we've also talked about. So we see everything being flipped. This is a great hope we have, a great truth we have to hold on to. In Esther, we, f- we saw that everything, in the beginning, Haman was, in, was second in, in command. The enemy of the Jews. It was a dark time. It was full of uncertainty, of sorrow, of fear. But now Mordecai is in that position. And it's a time of feasting, celebrating, giving gifts, a time of peace. Now this is only a, a small glimpse, right? Uh, but we do really, I believe, see this image of Christ and what we are promised when he reigns forever on a new heaven and new earth. And I know this is like, oh, whatever, that feels so far away, that feels so distant from my life. But I believe when we truly sink into this truth, because it is a truth, an absolute truth, it doesn't only root us and give us this distant hope, it gives us strength for every day, knowing that everything, all the negative, all the horrible experiences we have will come to an end, and we're promised that. So it's something we can hold on to. Now, in addition to remembering that God is bringing us into this eternal life, which is important, I also want to encourage you to remember the things that God is bringing or has brought you through in your life now. The things that God has done for you in your life now. This last text we read wants us to grasp that this story matters. The story of Esther is important and needs to be remembered because the people would forget. How much more would future generations never know the truth of what happened in that season? I believe this is also an important thing for us to take to heart and to remember. Remember, your memory isn't as good as you think it is. And you will mold your memory of how God has worked in your life in the past based on your current experiences, right? We can go through something and God brings us through and we're like, oh, I feel such relief, such joy. And then things get hard on you and you're like, God, you've never done this to me before. We forget sometimes the things that God has done for us in the past based off of where we are now. And even worse, I think sometimes when we are brought out of something, we're brought into a good season, and then we forget that, how he saved us, how it was him that got us there. When I look back at my own life, I know, because I know me, I will always tend, I will always lean towards making it all about myself. And that's either way. If thing, when I look back at my life or and I see maybe accomplishments that I have or accomplishments I have now, I'm experiencing a good time, I'm going to tend to think, oh, look at all the cool things I've done. Look at all the things that I've done to bring myself to this position. Maybe I won't say it like that, but that's always going to be my heart. It's going to be the thing that I tend to lean toward. Or if I look at things going really badly, all the negative things in my life, I'm going to think, oh, everybody's against me. Everybody hates me. It's, the world is against me. But it's still, either way, I'm just this center that the world evolves around. That's our natural tendency. And if that's our natural tendency, 
and our memory is affected by our current experiences, then it's a dangerous thing to trust in how we see how God worked in the past. So what can we do to be sure we don't lose sight of God's work in our life now? Write it down. Write it down. Right in verse 32 of chapter 9, it says it was written down in the records, also in the book of Esther. This is, it was put in writing. When I look back at my journals, the reality and truth of those experiences is made really plain and very quickly. And I know I can really only give credit to the providence of God to get me where I am now. I know it's no coincidence that I'm in Germany. If you didn't know, I'm not a native here. I come from Texas. It's ridiculous. What am I doing here? How did I get here? Sometimes I forget, honestly. I'm like, how did I get here? What's going on? But especially early when I came here, I wrote a lot down, and I can look back and be like, whoa, that's crazy. Look what God did. Look what God did. Look how God brought me through one thing after another, Man, there's no way that that just happened by chance. There's no way that I just met my wife by coincidence. We just happened to be at the same right place at the right time. That's crazy. And I might think that in my mind and in my memory, but when I look back at my journals, I'm like, oh no, that's, no. I didn't deserve her. That was definitely God. So I want to encourage you with that, to write things down. And I've gotten really bad at this, so I'm talking to myself as well. I know how it is. Life gets busy. But it's so critical to, to kind of keep note of things that God is doing in your life and something that you can go back to when you, when you go through those things and then you have a really hard time again. You can go back and be like, look what, look what God did last time. I can trust in him. So I want to challenge you with that. And I'll actually leave you. We'll, we'll, start, we'll close now, and I'll leave you with these two challenges. The first being this, yeah, again, to try and make a regular habit of writing down, especially moments of significance. If you're like, hey, I don't, I'm not a writer, I don't like to do it. If you go through something, if you have maybe a time of prayer and you're connected with God or you, you're reading something in the Word and it, it just speaks to you, try to make a, a habit of writing those things down. It will really be something that it's going to stick with you and it's going to be more concrete than your memory will be of that moment in the future. And so it's a very powerful thing to be able to have something physical to go back to in your life. So I want to encourage you to try and make a habit of writing things down. And uh, yeah, and we remember that it's not always the significant moments though, right, that God doesn't just use the big moments in our life. I think we see that really clearly in the book of Esther. It's not through great signs and wonders that God saved the Jews in Persia. It was through Esther's simple willingness to surrender, even if it meant her life. And so I think that keeping those journals is going to be something that is going to be something concrete you can go back to. My second challenge for you today is to try and rediscover the value and preciousness of God's word. Try and reignite God a passion for the Bible. I know when sometimes it can be hard to like read it consistently. So I want to encourage you to try to reignite that. And I have homework for you. 
If you're just joining us for the first time, sorry, you, the homework applies to you as well. But really, this is a homework, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply this homework to myself as well. Next week, we don't have service, because it's our summer fest, and so uh, you really have, you got two weeks. It's a, plenty of time, guys. Plenty of time. Bring your homework. No. Really, though, I want to give you this homework, and I want to encourage you to read through Psalm 119. Read all the way through Psalm 119. Break it up into, it's broken up really nicely. I think if you broke it up, you could go through it a little bit, uh, almost in the sections that are broken up already uh, in two weeks. And so I would encourage you to read through Psalm 119 because it's all about the word. It's all about the power of the word. It's all about the authority of the word to transform your life. And it's written from a, a perspective of a love for God's word. And even, I was looking actually for a verse or to, to pull from that to kind of emphasize my point here, and I was like, which one do you choose? So I thought, I'm not going to choose one, I'm going to make you guys read the whole thing. Keep it easy. But really, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this as well, read maybe a section in the morning and a section in the evening, but I would really encourage you to do that. I invite the band to come back up as we prepare to close. Hmm. We're going to take time now for our offering, since we didn't do it at the beginning of the service. 